0: Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit Frisco.com. Worship was really special. Um, I feel like I, I end up saying something like that every week, but it was, it was really special. Um, if you're new to Upper Room or you're here for the first time, you might be wondering like, why we like camp out around a, a song or a lyric for so long. And um, it's, it's on purpose. Um, we, we feel the pleasure of the Lord on it, or we feel him authoring faith in our hearts for some aspect of his character, or we feel him authoring faith in us for something he's doing in us. And we, we camp out there because like, we wanna minister to his heart from that place where we feel his pleasure, where we feel his like stamp. You might call it the anoint. Check. Check. <laughs> <laughs> It was a baby just echoing me. That was weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> we we hang out there, and so uh, today I know we were, we were singing, um, you know, "There is none like you," or you know, "There's no one in heaven or or earth like you." And as I was singing that to the Lord, I was just—it was becoming a a, a richer reality. It, I was getting like deepening revelation on. His character and who he is and and the truth of, of of it is is that there is no one like Jesus. He's the only begotten of the Father. He's the firstborn. He's the firstborn among many brethren, the firstborn of the dead. He's the, the bright and morning star. He is the very radiance of God, the exact representation of his nature, all of God dwelling in bodily form. He is the, the graciousness, love, and kindness, the very image of the Father come to us to turn us back to God, and he's so wonderful. There, there's no one like him, in, in, in the fact that that is who he is and who he will always be, and no one could have ever done what he did, but he's so powerful and so loving that as we look at his beauty and look at his face, we start to transform into his very image, don't we? And so I was like, as I was singing, there's none like you, there's none like you, there's none like you. I started singing like something to the the effect of just a little more each day. As I see your face, it's glory to glory. And I was just singing like, there's no one like you, but every day I look a little bit more like you. Because his mission was to, to make many brothers and sisters, to make many children for God, right? And so every day we're actually looking more and more like this man, Jesus. And I just, it, The reason I say that to you, the reason I give you a behind-the-scenes look at some of what happens to me in worship is because I know that sometimes it's a a hurdle for us to sing the same thing over and over, but I want you to take advantage of that opportunity just to marinate in these truths from the Lord, and we experience His presence transforming us in that kind of environment, in this kind of atmosphere, and so welcome to Upper Room Frisco. I don't know a lot of you. It's um it's amazing and terrifying and wonderful and big and like the Lord is the Lord is doing things like he's he's growing us a lot. I don't know if you've noticed, uh, we've grown a lot as a church in the past year and I'm so happy that I get to worship with you guys. I'm so happy that people are coming and finding community, finding uh, pockets of uh, maybe the best friends you've, you've ever had. I'm, I'm hearing just incredible stories of people finding their people. Here and I just encourage you to continue to press into community and find a place in in volunteering or in a a small group or coming to men's breakfast or Saturday. You know, if you fit the age qualifications for the young adult (laughs) Bible study, (laughs) Um, I want to give you just a again a behind the scenes look at some of the things that we're processing and doing because. Um, Ashley and I and, and our, our team here, we're not trying to make the church grow. We're, we're not, we, as much as we possibly can, we're just trying to be faithful with what God has put in front of us and, and, and to steward what he's brought really, really well. And, um, and I've grown as, as a person, uh, thanks in part to uh, my wife, the Holy Spirit, and my therapist. Um <laughs> If one of them doesn't get me, the other one will. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I want to say thank you for growing with us. Thank you for growing with me. Um, I know that um, I know that I'm young. I'm I'm turning forty this year, and um, it's I consider it like a, a a wonderful but weighty responsibility to be speaking here, uh, representing Jesus pointing to Jesus. I I know that there are people in the room who can preach and teach better than me. There are people in this room who have been through more moves of God. There are people in this room who have a, a few decades of maturity and life experience on me. And so I... I, I just wanted to like recognize that and say thank you for giving me a, a place in extending grace as we realize things could have been done better here and there, or things could have been said better here or there, but we're, we're growing as a family, and, and I'm honored to to just walk with you, to be, um, you know, as, as the Bible would call it, like a, like a shepherd pointing to our one good shepherd. Um, I just think God is growing a culture of honor and and a message of mercy in this church. And that that culture of of honor is so important because it allows us to be who we are without coming. uh, We don't have to come with disguises. We don't have to put on a front. When we honor people as they are, it means that we get the opportunity to get the treasure of who they are. I selfishly want you to be 100% you because when you're 100% you, I get a vision of Jesus that I can't find anywhere else. Yeah. On, it's that, the whole David and Saul's armor you know, metaphor. Some of you have probably heard it. It's, it's beautiful. I think I learned it from Bill Johnson, but when David goes and fights Goliath, King Saul is like, no, that guy's gonna chop you in half. Like, you're just a youth, and he's been a fighting man since his youth. He's twice your size. And David's like, No, 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 I, I got this. You know, the Lord, help me kill a lion, help me kill a bear. This guy's going to be just like one of those. And so Saul's like, Well, at least put on my armor so that you can go out there and, and fight him, you know, with, with some protection. And David tries on another man's armor, he tries on the king's armor. And he's like, it doesn't, it doesn't fit right. I'm not gonna be able to do what I do in this. And I believe that um, one metaphor among many that's in this story is that if David took on or tried to be like another man, he wouldn't have been able to take down Goliath. If he tried to take on the anointing or the mantle of a man of God before him, then he would have been chopped in half by this giant. But David knew how to sling stones and play harps. And so what did he do? He was himself. He went and got five stones and took down that giant. And so what I'm saying is that I need you guys to be yourself. Don't try to be like anyone else. Don't try to take on someone else's mantle or anointing. You are anointed. You have the Lord's mantle. You have the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. When we try to act like someone else, we literally confuse the angels when we try to look like someone else. The Lord showed me this one time, I was preaching at an event and I got nervous and I I started thinking, what would Brad say right now? And Brad is like a spiritual mentor of mine. And so I started acting like Brad and talking like Brad. I even told one of Brad's jokes. And all of a sudden, like I saw in the spirit realm, all these angels turned and looked at me and they were like really confused. (laughs) They're like peering in like, Almost like, where did he go? And I heard the Lord basically say, they can't act as they're supposed to act if you don't act as you're supposed to act. They can't release what they're called to release if you don't release it the way you're supposed to release it. If we start acting like someone else, literally, there is spiritual power that we're missing out on. I believe that people here, along with myself, are becoming whole and we're walking in our identity as children of God. I once heard a a wise man say that wholeness is when you're the same person in every room that you walk into. I believe that God is entrusting to us more of the the true riches of heaven, the uh, manifestations of the Spirit's power I believe that he's restoring to us some of those spiritual identifiers and markings of the first century church, those manifestations of God's power. Um, Can you guys open to Acts chapter four? There's just a few verses in here that I wanna wanna highlight. If you've been coming here for a little while, you know that I love church history. I spent a few weeks talking about the, the first couple centuries. Of the church and what it looked like, uh, why they did what they did, and uh, because there are so many things that I, I feel like we've we've lost, and I, and I want to reclaim. And today is uh, a little bit the same, more of the same. This is Acts 4:29. So the disciples were obviously encountering a lot of persecution and opposition after a couple of them got arrested and and, uh, got freed, uh, they prayed this prayer, "Uh, Lord consider their threats. So they've gathered together after a couple of their brothers are back and they said, now Lord consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness, stretch out your hand to perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. It's one of my favorite verses. Could you imagine like us gathered here and we we're saying like, Lord, no matter what the government says, Lord, no matter what the opposition, Lord, give us boldness to continue to preach your word while you, while you do signs and wonders to the name of Jesus. Could you imagine this room going... <sighs> And us all being filled again with the Holy Spirit and pouring out of these doors, preaching the gospel. To this town, you know, to go, going to our restaurants or going to uh, the gas stations and supermarkets, shining with the glory of God on us. This is what this is what they were experiencing. The kinds of things that they were experiencing, and they were they were boldly asking for signs and wonders. Now, if you think of the word signs, signs point to someone or something, or signs show you where to go. Wonders are like the opposite. Wonders confuse you. <laughs> It's almost like, give us those signs that point us to Jesus and the wonders that mess us up along the way, like the things that don't even fit into our paradigm, make us shaken to the core with the glory of your majesty as we're displaying your greatness. They shared their possessions, they cared for one another's needs just like we did today. Flip over uh, one chapter to Acts 5.12. There's just crazy power on these people. This is um, Acts 5:12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Now remember that phrase, added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as, they, as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jer- Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed." All of them. Isn't that an audacious, insane, like bodacious claim? That all rhymed. I'm very sorry. it's just like it, Jesus, like we have an easy time believing that Jesus had just glory and power flowing from him all the time. But here's the, the disciples, and it says of them that everyone who was brought to them was healed. What an incredible story. There's a couple things I want to highlight in this section. One is that there was so much power that people were sometimes scared to attend. I want that to be said about us. Almost like when you're walking through the doors here, you get a little butterfly in your tummy. You're like, oh man, what's the Lord going to do today? And it's like like you're, you're, you're a little bit scared to walk in, but you're also scared to miss what God might do like at the, at the gathering of the saints, that's the kind of atmosphere that they had. That's what I uh, I, I call that church. That phrase, uh, many were added to their number, is key uh, in the book of Acts. You'll find it at all of these um, different spots, and it's almost like um, chapter ends or or exclamation points. When you see, and many were added to their number, that is the disciples' way of saying that the church is growing, that the mission is being accomplished, that people are coming to the Lord. So what does it mean and what does it look like? What does what their number look like? What does it mean when you, like if you were walking around the streets in ancient Jerusalem back then and one, run into one of these guys and see a miracle and you're like, I gotta be part of that, what does it look like when you are now part of that? Let's back up to Acts 2.42. It's two chapters earlier. Actually, let's start in verse 41. It says, those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And this is what it looked like. They were continually together, devoted to the apostles' teaching Devoted to fellowship, devoted to the breaking of bread, and devoted to prayer. That's what it looked like. When you were added to their number, you were brought into continual fellowship, or they were fellowshipping as much as they possibly could. They were getting together, and they were eating meals together, and they were holding to the apostles' teaching, and they were praying. It was a house of prayer. And if you uh, scroll down just a little bit, Acts two forty seven, actually verse uh, 46, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Um, these guys had to figure out what to do with all the power. They had to figure out how to pastor and, and steward outpouring. Uh, so did Paul. Paul, like the whole book, First uh, and Second Corinthians, Paul is saying, y'all have too much power. Like you have every gift of the Holy Spirit in operation. Your, prophecy, your prophets are like fighting each other to shout their prophe- prophecies louder. And so like five people are speaking in tongues at the same time. People are coming to these meetings saying you're crazy. Like there's power present. You're not lacking any spiritual gift as you eagerly await the return of the Lord Jesus. He's saying that they had every type of manifestation of God's power in this church. And so what he does is there's so much power. He starts to create basically like structure around it and structure is good, but there was power that necessitated the structure. And what I feel like often happens or what's happened for like 2000 years is that we're trying to use structure to bring power. Jesus came and he found water. What did he do in his first miracle? With his first miracle, Jesus created wine to show us what kind of God we were dealing with. His MO, you know, how he was going to act and what he was bringing to the world. I feel like for 2,000 years, we've been trying to turn that wine back into water and make something make sense of something that he created to intoxicate us. That there would be Joy in the house of the Lord and celebration, and while like it would be as if there were they were intoxicated, that we would be as if we were intoxicated. Like, there's just too many allusions of wine to the Holy Spirit in the Bible for me not to think that the Holy Spirit causes us to be joyful and more brave than we ever were before. You ever seen a drunk man afraid? He's like. Be not drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so he's not not condoning, you know, immoral behavior. He's saying there's something of the Holy Spirit that is akin to intoxication, but even better. So what they were trying to do is figure out what to do with all of this power. They grew so much that they had to figure out how to feed these people. They created a food distribution system and then appointed deacons to be over it. People like Philip and Stephen. You remember stories about Philip and Stephen? These guys weren't just waiters, were they? imagine if we're like, oh, we, uh, we need to hire like a, a janitor and then the janitor is more powerful than anyone else in the room. Like that's what happened with like Philip and Stephen. These guys moved in crazy. Philip translocated. He went from like baptizing an Ethiopian eunuch to 30 miles away in the, in the city of Azotus and then just kept on preaching. <laughs> like, <laughs> Stephen was the first martyr Stephen was probably the reason why Saul became Paul and became into the kingdom. Have you ever thought about that? As, as Stephen is being accused and he's surrounded by this group of jackals, he begins to give prophetic testimony to Jesus, reveals Christ from the beginning of Scripture all the way through. His face is shining like an angel. They're trying to stop their ears from hearing the words coming out of his mouth. They rush him and stone him to death. He sees heaven open. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father and then echoes the words of Jesus, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Don't let my murder be held against them in your courts of heaven. 40 verses later, Saul is knocked off his donkey because Stephen's prayer worked. And a jihadist who was murdering Christians became the one who wrote half of our New Testament. The worst thing that could have happened to someone in the first 300 years of the church is that they were asked to not come back. The absolute worst thing to be asked to not fellowship within community, to be excommunicated. That that is literally the worst punishment that could happen to a Christian is to be asked to leave the community. And now we have Christians all over the place afraid to come into community. The very thing that would heal us is being properly connected and grafted into the body of Christ. And again, this is, not, this is not like an advertisement for Upper Room Frisco. If God is calling you to another body, go there. Get intimately, intricately, vitally connected to the body of Christ in the proper place. Because beloved, the body doesn't need you. You need the body. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry. Have you ever met like one of those? Never mind, don't, don't think about someone like this. But there are these like traveling prophets who think it's their job to bounce from body to body because the church needs them. But I want you to understand something. The church doesn't need the eye to survive. The ch- church doesn't need the eyes to survive. We would have a diminished existence, we would have less power, but we go on breathing and moving, don't we? But the eye needs the body to survive. Every one of us, we need to be properly and intimately, vitally connected to the body of Christ because that's how we are connected to the head. If any of us say like, I love Jesus, but I hate the body, it's like telling your wife, I love your face, but I hate your body. We don't say that to our spouse. space issues until today, didn't we? Like, (laughs) Um, I I literally, I'm not trying to offend anyone. I I just believe that we need to preach these kinds of things. And I need to be offended every once in a while. If you're anything like me, you need to be offended every once in a while or else you're not in a church. You're in an echo chamber, like a, a social club. Um, and you don't need to be coming to church because I preach good, sometimes I don't. So when I don't, do you leave? Or do you don't need to be coming to church because like, you feel goosebumps during worship because what happens when you don't get that endorphin dump when you raise your hands, do you leave that church? Uh-huh. <laughs> don't get me wrong, we need good teaching, preaching. Love good worship. I'm up here dancing and crying like every Sunday. I'm so thankful for these worshipers who've dedicated their lives and and their craft to developing and practicing the presence and practicing their, their skills. I'm so grateful. All right. Regularly attending a gathering of the saints called the church is vital to our ministry to God. It's 1 Peter 2.5, you yourselves are living stones and you're being built up together as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So who in here is a temple of the Holy Ghost? You are correct, you are a temple of the Holy Ghost who collectively is the temple of the Holy Ghost. All of us together, we individually are temples, dwelling places of the Holy Spirit, bought at a price, but together, collectively, there's a whole different level of glory on the unified body of saints. Like this is... Psalm 133, it says how blessed and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like oil, that power, that anointing, oil flowing down the beard of Aaron. There the Lord commands a blessing. When we come together in unity, we are answering the Lord's prayer that we would be one and that there would be even more power present than we've ever experienced on our own. So what I'm saying is that you are a beautiful temple of the Holy Spirit. No matter where you go, you are a dwelling place of the Lord. But when we come together in unity, it is something altogether more glorious. This is how the disciples lived. This is Acts 20 verse seven, on the first day of the week when they were gathered to break bread. What did that say? On the first day of the week when they gathered to break bread. On the first day of the week when they gathered to break bread. Listen, I'm not preaching religion. I'm preaching relationship. These guys were intimately connected. They made sure to be devoted to gathering together. Jesus did it. This is Luke 4.16. He came into Nazareth as he had, uh, where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So Jesus had a cycle. He had a rhythm to life. What did he do on Sabbath? He went into the synagogue and he usually stood up and, and read from scriptures. What did he do on the Sabbath? He went as was his custom. We're just, we're made to be connected. Guys, we wouldn't have the Bible if we didn't first have the church like the letters in the bible were written to gatherings of the saints we wouldn't have it even if you go like to the book of revelation you wouldn't it, all those letters were written to churches so they had to gather in order to get the goods you ever thought about that <clears throat> like the, the bible didn't birth the church the church gave us the bible through the holy spirit y'all are looking at me sideways now like <laughs> We know what came first in this chicken or the egg scenario. (laughs) Speaking of chicken, do you guys know what you call a a Chick-fil-A that only serves lukewarm food? (laughs) Chick-fil-A-Dicea. See, I'm looking around the room because now I know which ones y'all don't read Revelation. (laughs) The church of Laodicea, lukewarm. (laughs) Getting less funny as I talk. Okay. Um, If God birthed the Bible through the Holy Spirit, through the church, what might he be birthing in the world through a gathering of saints submitted to him properly right now? What could he be bringing to the earth? And I'm not saying that right now we're operating in the same ways or seeing the same kind of power of the first century church, but I believe for it. And I believe for even more, even greater miracles than what was happening back in those days. Many are being added to our number uh, right now. And I I just want to speak to that for a moment and invite you into this story. I have a startling statistic for you. We have 100 children trying to fit into an area that accommodates 70. <laughs> 70 to 75 kids fit in our kids' area, and about every week, nearly 100 are, are, are trying to get in. This is amazing. Anybody else in here other than me grow up in the church? Like, your childhood, most of your greatest memories are you know, church gatherings and revival meetings and youth group. I grew up in the church, and I so, de- like so deeply want to create, recreate a kind of place where kids are brought up in the presence. One time the Lord even said to me jokingly, I tricked you into leading this church so that I could have a church to bring your kids up in. Like we're, we're passing this down to the generations, right? And we have all these kids and they need places to, to get together and, and worship. And so we see this situation. Also, I don't know if you've noticed over the last couple of months, people are getting here earlier and earlier because there's less and less seats. And I just wanna to speak to that for a moment. We see this, we see this situation and we're, we're co- trying to come up with creative solutions to, to solve it. Um, because I do believe that God wants us in here. I believe that God wants us close to the presence. I, I believe that God wants us to gather. I want people to come in here and encounter God. Um, I'm, I'm not afraid of, you know, this body of Christ growing because I know that our good shepherd is more than able to sustain every single person who walks through this door. And so we gotta figure out how to knock down some walls, don't we? Right? <laughs> I, um... As a leadership team and elder team, we're praying for uh, miraculous provision again. Uh, and I say again, because we've seen it before. We're praying that something would happen similar to the story of how we got this building. Y'all know that three years ago, we were renting this building from another church named C3. Beautiful, wonderful church. They went through a lot of transition. They wanted to relaunch as a home church with a different name. And they approached us and asked us if we wanted to buy the building. Well, about f- three or four years ago, they wanted four million dollars for this section of the building. It's broken up into three. We've got the bank, this section, and the Boys and Girls Club. They wanted four million dollars for this center section, and so we like we were like, we'll just keep renting. Um, <laughs> and but they reapproached us, and and I said, well, let's talk about it, and. Um, I so said, we, we don't want to list it and we feel like the, the church is supposed to be yours. Our bottom dollar is 1.2 million. Over the course of three years, when the market went, skyrocketed in Frisco, the price of this building went from 4 million to 1.2 million. When we bought this building, our mortgage became less than our rent was. And God's given us a facility to facilitate what he wants to do. This is a tool that we're using for the Lord, that we're stewarding as best as we can. And now we're to the point where uh, we, we've outgrown it in the, in the past year. Um, and we're looking, we're looking north to the Boys and Girls Club. And what we're praying is that God would bless them so much, so abundantly, that they would move to like <laughs> a wonderful new location, greener pastures. <laughs> I'm letting you in, like behind the scenes. This is a family talk. This is really what we are hoping and what we're praying and what we are going to pursue. Because we would love to be able to put all the kids just over there and, and knock down a few walls and have more room for us to, to dance wildly in the, in the presence of the Lord while the kids are on the other side of an insulated wall. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, <laughs> We're praying for that or some other solution, some other God solution. I'm letting you know that we know that there are things that need to be addressed, and I want to invite you into it. And so right now, would you join me in prayer? And I just want to, like, stretch forth a hand towards the Boys and Girls Club. <laughs> if you're against the wall, you might as well put your hand on the wall. Like, this is, this is a Nehemiah moment, okay, guys? <laughs> Lord, we bless our neighbors to the north. Thank you for the awesome work that they're doing. We pray, God, that you would continue to bless them mightily and that uh, a very favorable deal would be brokered for us to be able to use more space or own more space, whatever you see fit, Lord. We're asking God that you would expand our tent pegs. In Jesus' name, amen.